This is the Gifted Kid Complex, the show where the panelists were gifted kids and refused to move on with a satirical take on intellectual elitism by having the most tongue-in-cheek, inane, pedantic, and convoluted conversations every week. Introducing your host this episode. She's ambitious to the point of hubris. It's Jessie. Hello, I'm doing a history episode today. (laughs) You're joking. Oh, you're joking. I'm not joking. All right, let's go. <laughs> yep. And every other episode, her burnout is imminent. Your host is Taya C. My shampoo ran out, so now I smell aggressively like peaches instead of like mangoes. <laughs> oh, no mangoes anymore. No mangoes anymore. Wow, that's great. Each panelist here today has experienced gifted kid syndrome growing up in some way. So Taya, let's do your brief rundown on your situation. Hello, I'm Taya. I do... Uh, a BA in history at Oxford University. I'm at Corpus Christi College. Oh, this is your first time you're saying which college. Yeah, I get questions on that, like, all the time. Like, what college do you go to? So I might as well tell you. So my fun fact is that I did my extended essay. So that's my IB extended essay. And for anyone who's A-levels, that's like an EPQ. On the 13th century Bari Mamluk Sultanate uh, in Egypt and the rise of the first sultan. So that's Baybars. This means nothing to me. <laughs> That's my fun fact. Um, my fun fact of the day. I'm completely non-theistic. I'm not superstitious. I don't believe in ghosts, but I still get spooked out by like horror shit. Okay. Like like the idea of ghosts freaks me out, even though I don't think that they exist. Yeah, no, fair enough. I used to get yeah. you know scared. You know, like when you're washing your hair in the shower and then you close your eyes and then you t- mm-hmm. like you think that there's something behind you. So like. You rinse your hair really fast and you turn Uh, around and there's nothing there. For me, it's when I'm in bed and I'm facing the wall and I can't see what's behind me. I have a word of the day for you. It's more related to segment two than segment one, but it's fine. Mm -hmm. So the word is panacea. Oh, is it like the the heal like the word for like something that heals? Yeah, it's so it's a solution or remedy for all difficulties or diseases. But it comes from Greek via Latin from mid sixteenth century. So pan. Uh, as in all like yeah. universal and aka as in remedy yeah so that's my word of the day cool so taya here's my question i'm gonna pose for you what are some folk or traditional superstitions that you still follow it doesn't need to be because you believe in them yeah so um i never pass anyone a knife so anything with a blade um you always set it Mm-mm-mm-mm. down before they pick it up just because by handing someone a knife it means you wish death on them. This is a thing that I inherited from my from my paternal grandmother on my dad's side. Mm-hmm. So that's a South Asian culture. Um, and then I also follow the Chinese chopstick thing where you don't put it inside mm-hmm. the bowl. I have that written down. <laughs> Chopsticks in the grave. Yeah, exactly. Both of us are Chinese. I'm Cantonese and Tay is half. I'm going to talk about some Chinese superstitions this mm. isn't the segment by the way this is just like this is just something we're gonna talk about okay first. so yeah we mentioned the chopsticks um being in the bowl we always put them across yeah. the rim because if you stick your chopsticks upright or just like stick it in it looks like incense and you also don't say zaijian, which we use mm. as goodbye but directly translates mm. to see you again because if you say that at a funeral then you're inviting ghosts to come back and haunt you mm-hmm. is the idea mm-hmm. a lot of chinese Superstitions and customs are based on like homophones, yeah. kind of like puns yeah. almost. So mini game, <laughs> let's do a mini game. Okay, mini game. We talked about giving people things, right? There's like a superstition around what you can and cannot give people. I have four things written down. It is against 
tradition and superstition to gift someone these things in Chinese culture if you can name some of them. Okay, I'll, I'll try my best. Things you can't give people? Yeah. You have four. I have four written down. Oh, I only know what you do give. Is one of them food related? Like you don't ever give someone like a certain food. One of them is a food stuff. Yeah, it can't be fish. Yeah, it can't be fish, you're right. So you is fish in Chinese, but it also means like prosperity. So you got clocks, umbrellas, pears, and shoes. Oh, pears, that's right. And shoes, yeah, those I know of. The other two I don't know of. So a clock in Chinese is zhong. So the homophone for zhong as in clock is also zhong as in the end. Oh. <laughs> so uh, you give someone a clock, it's like, hi, I want you to yeah, die. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I hope you die soon. Umbrella is san, like you san right? And the homophone is sun. I know it's not the same, but sun. That is to separate. So that's if you want to, if you think your relationship with someone is over. Oh god, okay. Li is to uh, li kai, right? So li mm-hmm. is in like the fruit, li, mm-hmm. and li kai, so leaving, parting. And shoes is xie, so xie is also evil, wishing someone evil on them. I didn't know the homophones, but I just yeah. knew that it just wasn't what you did. If you see like the character Fu, yeah, I know this. Uh, in Chinese New Year, and yeah. it's upside down. That's because Fu Dao sounds like Fu Dao. Dao is like to fall or topple over, and Dao is like arrive. If you flip the Fu upside down, it's symbolizing fortune coming to you. Yeah. Anyway, so it took us seven episodes to get here, but I'm finally doing a history episode tackling my domain. The game is Unknown Odyssey. Mm. It's the game where we unfold myths, legends, and chronicles. So in front of me, I have a timeline and a series of questions. I will be prompting the progression of our tale through questions, and the panel, Taya, has to uncover the story through educated guesses and shots in the dark. So today, I'm gonna begin with a question. Okay. And what's going to happen is I'm going to ask you a series of questions. I'll kind of fill in the gaps here and there, try to guide you. But you're going to slowly uncover this mystery of what we're talking about today. Okay. My first question for you. What is Christ Festival? Christ Festival? Yeah, Christ Festival. If you can like think about like when, when it started, what did they do? Jesus, is this like Jesus Christ? Yeah, it is Jesus Christ, yes. Okay, Christ Festival. I'm going to guess Europe. It is not Europe. Oh, excellent. Okay. You gotta move to the right. Yeah, yeah. Latin America? <laughs> no, right, right. Wrong direction. Well, technically, if you go right far enough, you do hit that because the world is a sphere, <laughs> so. What's down and to the right of Europe? Turkey? Mm-mm. Keep going. <laughs> keep going, like, to the right? Yeah, keep going to the right. <laughs> Russia? Keep going right. Oh my god. How far right are you going to make me go? Korea? It's below and to the right of Korea. Japan? It is Japan. What? We are talking about Christ Festival in Japan. How far back are we going? That's my question to you. How far back are we going? When did it start? Is this like the Dutch settlers at the Dutch community in in Japan during like the Meiji era I, or do I have to go further back this is 19th century what I'm talking about no it's not um so why I'm kind of uh is because the reason that they celebrate it is said to go back really far so Christ festival was started in 1955 oh my god okay it's a Shinto style ritualistic memorial festival um honoring ancestral spirits Christ included um, it's like a bon orderly thing. This actually fits into Shintoism because Shintoism is polytheistic. So Jesus being a guy does not really contradict with Shinto. So it's okay. I studied the Meiji period very briefly a few years ago. The yeah. people who were like trading around were these was a small Dutch community in, in, kind of in ports. Um, they were around. 
I think. And they may or may yeah. not have been Christian. They probably were. That's a good guess. But nope, it's weirder than that. So, Taya, why is Christ Festival held at Hirai or Naoshingo? I don't know where that is. No, it doesn't matter. It's a very specific place in Japan. Why is Christ Festival held there? Take a wild guess. This is the game. The shrine is there. Okay, think even bigger than a shrine. Because they think Christ was there or something? Yep, so they think that Christ's tomb is there. <laughs> yep. It's giving relic of the true cross. We'll, we'll get to the cross. We'll get there. Do they think they have a piece of the true cross? There is a cross there. I don't think they think that they have a piece of that cross. So before we progress, I have to tell you about the Takanoichi document. It's a Japanese nationalist theory of everything. So TLDR, Japan is the center of the world, according to these documents. Sounds about right. Yeah, so where did these documents come from? How did they surface, Taya? It's a theory of politics, isn't it? It's not, it's not politics, it's a theory of everything. Oh, it could have gone further back then. It could go to like Tokugawa times. This is early 20th century. Okay, wait, hold on. I was literally about to say that. So what happened is that the reason why I think it's then is that the Meiji kind of constitution came about 1889. Might need to correct me if I'm wrong. Before that, a whole bunch of people in rural villages, they would come up with their own forms of constitutions. So it showed how widely across Japan and across classes, like political theorizing and becoming aware of government um, was becoming in its modern form. Because people okay. were developing theories, I was thinking at a similar time, they might have developed this same mm. theory. It wasn't made up canonically to what they're talking about because it was disclosed by a priest canonically canonically within <laughs> within their within their canon this is gonna make sense in the early 20th century the takenouchi documents were disclosed by a priest named takenouchi kiyomaro as a part of his cult and he got popular it got popular fuck yeah this guy claimed to be a descendant of a legendary semi-historical hero statesman named takenouchi no sukune this guy was a priest and he had a cult and these documents got popular. So what happened in 1935 with Hirai Village? I don't know, this guy formed his cult? Close, kind of. Hirai Village is looking for tourism buffs at this point of time and they hire a fan of the Takenouchi documents who then in turn brings Takenouchi Kiyomaro, the, the cult leader, over to the village where he amazingly discovers discovers with the massive air quotes <laughs> jesus's tomb <laughs> and later jesus's will in which jesus tells in part yes the story of how he came to japan and also yes. how he died there this is like hong Xiu chuan uh, <laughs> one of my favorite historical figures of all time and the reason why i asked did he fail the state exam hong Xiu chuan fails the state exam in china he then proceeds to start a cult where he mm. believes that he is the biological brother of Jesus Christ. We're going to go way okay. back. Jesus. Way back. Way further back than Jesus. According to the Takenouchi documents, what is the origin of life? Again, it was a theory of everything. God? Not God. Also, yeah, the Takenouchi documents are not Christian. Jesus is just there. a tiny part. Oh, he's just there. He's just there. He's just there. The land? The land. No, it's kind of the opposite of the land. The sea? Mm-mm, no. Aliens came down in spaceships to invent civilization in Japan. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. We love aliens. Um, so the aliens are called Sumera. Okay. 
wait, no, I know about the Sumera. Do you know why? Why? I was at a protest for the funsies in Oxford. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> and this, I talked to this one guy and he oh, no. told me that we have no way of knowing that aliens haven't come down and merged themselves with our DNA. And they, these are the Sumera. Mm-hmm. They came down and they have blue blood. Yeah. And apparently people with blue blood become our politicians. Cool. This is not what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, but he he said it was the same thing, which is wild. Oh my God. Conspiracy theory. So there's Sumera descent to Earth in spaceships called Ameno Ukifune. They create civilization in Japan, because again, Japan is the center of the world. And they dispatch 16 princes and princesses to spread it, it as in civilization, throughout the world. And it results in the five colored races. Major air quotes. Would you like to name the five colors, Taya? White, black, red. Uh, no, actually. No, those three are correct. Yeah, white, black, red. Yeah. Blue, yellow. Oh, wow. You really got them all right. We don't know what blue refers to, by the way. I, I know my Japanese eugenics theory. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. I don't know how I, how I actually guessed that, but I had a feeling. I'm way too familiar <laughs> with racial theories. I think also it's because, like, historically people have, if you look at, like, the amount of words people have for colors, red, black, mm-hmm. white, yeah. blue, right. and yellow are the most prominent words that we actually have for colors. It goes black and white first and then red and then blue and yellow. So yeah. it makes sense. You tell me. What is the father of the red race called? Make a wild guess. Jesus. No, but think generationally all the way back. Adam. Kind of. Eve. You take Adam, you take Eve, put them together. It's just Adam Eve. I'm not joking. (laughs) He's so androgynous. Like if a man and a woman had a baby. Apparently Adam Eve leaving Japan is later reinterpreted in the Old Testament as Adam and Eve banished from Eden, according to the Takanouchi documents wild yeah and then like tenpiti are some catastrophic convulsions of heaven and earth what are those effects translated to in the bible according to the takenouchi documents taya uh what does that equate to in the bible is that like noah's ark i see why you would think that actually no yeah. it's the tower of babel oh 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 isn't it babel oh is it is it babel okay so it's a tower of babel i don't know <laughs> babel oh shit it's babel it's babel and british the effects are later recorded as the Tower of Babel parable, and that's why Japanese is no longer the sole language of Earth. Okay. <laughs> Allegedly, there are traces of Japanese still everywhere, especially in Hebrew. Wild. Wild. When I told the team, I was like, hey guys, I want to research this. Remembered this off the top of my head. I was like, oh yeah, Jesus in Japan. Remember that. I told the team, and Jenny was like, on it. Holy fuck. It goes so much deeper than we anticipated. So, according to the Takenuchi documents, all major religious figures went to study in Japan at some point in their lives. Minigame, name some. Uh, like leaders, like religious leaders? Figures who allegedly went to Japan. The Buddha. Uh-huh. Oh, hell yeah. Who else? Uh, Abraham. No. Ah, maybe. Moses? Moses, yes. Oh, yeah. Okay, I'm fuck. yeah, hell yeah. One more Chinese one. Okay, Confucius. Yep, there you go. <laughs> fuck yeah, I bodied that. When and how did Jesus end up in Japan? Okay, are they following a similar time scale to the Bible? So as in Jesus was born 0 AD? Yes. And I'm going to use AD here, Anno Domini, because it is in the context of the Bible. Uh, Other than that, we usually do use CE as in common era. Okay, so Jesus born 0 
AD slash CE. You don't need to do it in years. I was gonna guess like probably adulthood, or maybe um at the end of his life because he was buried there. He allegedly went to go study in Japan in the years that the Bible does not document by boat, and he lands in Hasidate Port, I guess. Um, and in his older years. By crossing through Siberia to Alaska, and then in a small wooden boat. Not really sure how he did that. Wait, 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 wait. Siberia to Alaska. Yeah, that's this is what's written down, man. <laughs> I don't want to tell you. Oh, that makes no sense geographically. Why would he go to the U.S.? I don't know. It's either a fault of our team, or this is just what the Takenouchi documents say. Okay, so Jesus went on his world tour, his era's tour. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, since Jesus was in Japan when he died, who was crucified? Judas. No. John. So, this is a figure who's not in the Bible. Moses? Not in the Bible. Moses is very in the Bible. <laughs> no, but you said we talked about it earlier, so I was like... We didn't talk about it. Wait, Confucius? No. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been so wild. Someone we lightly touched on earlier, <laughs> but not in name, just the concept of this person. So it's Jesus's probably biological brother who gets crucified. Hong Xiuquan. <laughs> no way. Holy shit, they crucified Hong Xiuquan. <laughs> According to the Takenouchi documents, his name is Isukiri. Isukiri is the one who is crucified. It seems to be okay that his name is Isukiri because it's probably derived from Christ's name in Japanese. <laughs> and Christ in Japanese is Ishikiri, so it's probably from that. We probably don't think that the Takenuchi documents thinks that Jesus' brother's name was actually Isukiri in Hebrew. Although, to be fair, Japanese was the only language of the world, <laughs> according to them too. And that there's still Japanese in Hebrew, so I don't know. Honestly, it's hard to say. So it's Isukiri who is crucified. Jesus escapes through Siberia. And this is why Jesus' tomb has two mounds. So one is the Duraiduka, which contains his remains. And the other one is the Juraibo, which contains a lock of his brother's hair to honor his sacrifice. Bruh. What did Jesus do when he got to Japan, Taya? Study, you said. He did some other things. Get bitches? He did, so he got married. Yo! <laughs> he uh, had three daughters. Oh my god, who'd he marry? There are multiple names that have been listed. So there's Miyuko, Yumiko, Mio, and Mariko. And apparently Miyuko seems to be the most popular. And he had three daughters. I don't see names written down. Um, but they did marry a Sawaguchi, who still exists today, a Kaimori, and a Noguchi. Jesus also renamed himself. So he renamed himself from Ishikiri to something else. So we encountered four versions. Torai Taro Tengu, Hachi no He Taro Tengu, Dai Tenku Torai Taro and Dai Tenku Taro Jurai. So you'll notice a lot of Tengu or Tenku sounds. Yeah. Do you know what a Tengu is in Japanese folklore? Uh, I don't know. Is it like a god or like a deity or something? I I'm sure you've seen like depictions of them. So these these are the creatures from Japanese folklore with the red faces and the long noses in priest garb. Oh, 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 oh. The courts take the evidence of this folklore, like oh, Tengu existed, therefore Jesus was in Japan. <laughs> man <laughs> i don't know so as we've established jesus has three daughters and he dies at the age of 106 what happens to jesus's direct descendants in japan do they either die 
Oh. No, but they they live on and they are allegedly still alive today. What did they continue to do after he died? Or like spread his religion, I guess. Kind of the opposite. They forgot about what really went down and became mostly Buddhist. Stop. <laughs> he was your dad, bro. Allegedly. It's like descendants, descendants. But they still honor his tomb and honor the yeah. practices. So the tomb honoring thing seems to be real. And there also seems to be a weird tradition of sewing a star of David lookalike onto clothing. And apparently that is some kind of evidence that something Judaic went to Japan, i.e. Jesus. There's some names listed of Jesus's modern direct descendants. Oh my god. So uh, a guy called Sawaguchi Sanjiro, who apparently looked non-Japanese because he had blue eyes. And apparently that's supposed to be some evidence that He's a direct descendant of Jesus, although Jesus was not white. Jesus didn't have blue eyes. <laughs> no, definitely did not have blue eyes. <laughs> and Sawaguchi oh Dunichiro, who has never been to church or read the Bible. This is great. So here's my question to you, Taya. What does Israel think of all of this? <laughs> what? Isn't that like a political statement? They have an official take. Okay, um... I don't know, they endorse it? So actually, in 2004, they officially dedicated a plaque to Hirai or Single Village, which is on display at Jesus' tomb. Stop! Yep, so an Israeli ambassador named Eli Cohen did that in a gesture of friendship and not a theological endorsement. Oh my god. Yep, so here's my last question for you. What has become of the Takenouchi documents today? In a museum. I wish. That would be cool. Um, so it's available on Amazon in several languages. I'm gonna buy it! There's a dedicated and active magazine. There are informative <laughs> oh videos God. on a website that we looked at very heavily to research this bit. We wanted to read the actual documents, but they are behind a paywall. Like, we would have to buy the copies of it on Amazon. We can't find it in soft copy. That sounds like a worthwhile investment. I was looking at Amazon reviews, and one of them was just five stars, and it was a single word, truth. <laughs> so real so real they need to put that in a museum oh my god is there an original oh my god they should carbon date that shit um the takenouchi documents are basically um takenouchi's translation of these bigger pieces of things that he uncovered and translated that are said to outdate the kojiki (laughs) oh my god according to themselves oh my god yeah it goes deep we had to already like really cut this down for the episode there's so much I love this shit so much. Yeah, so that's the game. That's our first game. <laughs> I love this shit so fucking much. <laughs> I'm a micro history enjoyer. That can be an unpopular opinion for some, and some don't really see the value of like looking at very small cases that don't really have a trend. But it's fun. I just think it's interesting. <laughs> it is. It's so fun. It's yeah. people being people. On the topic of things that are in history we're gonna do a round of real or fake okay so the topic is remedies remedies yep ancient remedies or historical remedies oh these are not as old myself and the team have come up with some and researched some i'm not going to tell you how many so you can't game theory your way into guessing which ones are real and which ones are fake fine right so your first one (laughs) your first remedy is using the tail feathers from the greater bird of paradise for joint pain what culture is this remedy from? Animistic ethnic tribes living on the southwest of New Guinea, specifically within the Mapi and Boven Degoal regencies. The regencies are not in Papua New Guinea, so they're technically still part of Indonesia. 
Um, yeah. So the importance is the golden tail feathers are associated with youth. So it's good for joint pain, especially for the elderly. Traditionally, hunting is carried out after a controlled burn of the swamps. Okay. But the greater bird of paradise can be identified by its characteristic calls to the hunted a week before the burning starts. And only young men aged 15 to 20 will be part of the hunting party to preserve the vitality of the bird. And traditional bows and arrows must be used, so hunting rifles are prohibited. Uh, the preparation and consumption, so it's only young women, age 15 to 20, will be involved in the preparation of, like, a tea. Um, so the tail feathers are ground up into a paste with other herbs, herbs uh, useful for joint pain, like salat, that's a real plant, which is boiled in water. Okay. Yep. Um, I'm gonna guess it's real. Uh, so this is fake. No, nah, this is not fair. It's gonna make me look so fucking stupid. Oh my god. They're all teaming up to make me like unworthy of my Oxford degree. Holy shit. Your next one is from Hippocrates, 4th century BCE. Hot irons for hemorrhoids. I believe that. <laughs> Apparently this is the best cure, applying the curative properties of fire. This is a quote. As many conditions as drugs do not cure, the knife cures. As many as a knife does not cure, fire cures. As many as fire does not cure, these have to be considered incurable. <laughs> so the steps of the treatment. Step one, cauterize hemorrhoids until they are no longer using hot irons. Step two, apply a poultice of lentils and vegetables to the anus. Brackets, promote healing of the burn from the cautery. Close bracket. What? Yeah, here's another quote. When the cautery is applied, the patient's head and hands should be held so that he should cry out, for this will make the rectum project out more. Nah. And the burns are only seen as an adverse effect of the treatment. Burning your anus. Yep. Oh my god. Mm -hmm. <laughs> is that real? <laughs> I guess it's true. I don't know. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm like entirely shooting in the dark here. I don't actually have anything to go off of. That is real. That's surprising. It okay. was used... Even up till the 12th century, it was cited in a 14th century book. This is giving horrible histories. This is so horrible histories coded. So here's your next one. Are you ready? Yeah. Malaria for general paralysis of the insane. This is 1920s Austria. And I'm so sorry, my Germanic pronunciation is awful, but I'm going to read the IPA and try my best. So the guy's name is Julius Wagner Jalheg. General paralysis of the insane, GPI. It's a severe neuropsychiatric organic mental disorder caused by late-stage syphilis and its associated cerebral atrophy. And the cure is malaria? I'll explain. So Wagner Jalreg's main work is pyrotherapy, treating psychiatric disorders by inducing fevers. So I'm going to give you the timeline. In 1887, he begins his investigation of the effects of febrile fever-causing diseases on psychoses. He uses erysipela and tuberculin, which did not work. In 1917 to the 1940s, he attempts inoculation of malaria parasites. It proves to be successful. Some who developed high fevers were plausibly cured of syphilis, and it was induced by Plasmodium vivax, which is the least aggressive parasite that caused malaria, and it treated tertiary syphilis 10 to 30 years after infection, as it produced prolonged high fevers. Real or fake? It makes no medical sense whatsoever. Why would a parasite cure syphilis? Like, what is... Is syphilis a virus? Like, what... No, no, it is a bacteria. Then if it's bacteria, then the fever makes a lot less sense. Why? I don't know. I think... I Usually, I think high fevers are to do with viral infections. This is also Austria, and it's the 1920s. I don't know to what... Okay, where is the parasite from, originally? Tropical Africa. 
Okay, 1920s Austria. What is the probability that they are able to have? It's like it, it could happen because they're probably doing a lot of studies of like Africa at this point. So they would have access to that parasite. Yeah. They would be able to access it. Mm-hmm. And there's a general trend in this era of scientific engagement um, with things that are happening in Africa or in the other areas of the global south. Mm. So, yeah, the only thing I'm in doubt about is whether a high fever actually affects, like, syphilis. Right, so because I said that it worked, your question of whether it was real or fake is whether it would work. I, I can't, I don't know. I don't know whether it would or whether it wouldn't, I just don't. Yeah, so just just make a guess then. Okay, I, I think it might be real, just based on the fact that they have access to, like, parasites at the time. Yeah, so actually this is real, and he was actually awarded... Nobel Prize for this. What? Oh my god! Yeah, and it surfaced later <laughs> on that he was a eugenicist. 1920s! Yeah, so he sterilized patients he deemed schizophrenic due to excessive masturbation, and apparently it led to improved conditions. Um, He was mm. really influenced by Hitler's German nationalism in the end of his life, yep. and he became an anti-Semite and Nazi sympathizer. So in 1939, he applied to become a member of the National Socialist Party after calling to ban reproduction of people with mental diseases and people with criminal genes. So he did oh that. God. So I yeah. felt like I couldn't talk about this thing without, you know, acknowledging he was a eugenicist. And so people of Austria afterwards were like, no, we don't want to claim that anymore. So... What's really interesting is that there's a really significant imperial dimension to this. So my point, like the my reason why I thought it was real is because of the imperial dimension. It is probable mm-hmm. that he has access to the parasite because of the imperial dimension. And also eugenics. If mm. you take the UK, for example, the Boer War in like it ended in 1902 and afterwards a third of the conscripts were found actually unfit for military service physically and that triggered a huge crisis socially medically people were worried about the imperial race in air quotes what was the Mm -hmm. future of it how were the great nations of europe um going to maintain their empires an imperialistic impulse favors the growth of eugenics and it was spreading across europe as well as social darwinism it is made absolutely worse by the crisis of health that was the first world war just because it was a crisis of of masculinity it was a crisis of able-bodiedness so Mm. it it makes sense that at this time and given the kind of political climate of germany and europe at this time that this is a real thing i'm not surprised but yeah there's your little there's your little oxford history major i was doing the research for this i was like oh okay this is interesting and i was like oh guy won a nobel prize for this oh guy was a eugenicist he won a fucking nobel prize yeah yeah he did mm-hmm. yeah speaks to how normalized eugenics was in um thinking but he did win the nobel prize for the malaria thing it had nothing to do with the eugenics all right fair enough okay so this one is using eureka valley or dunes evening primrose primrose flowers made into a flower crown for valley fever, which is a fungal disease. Okay. Used by the Timbisha, or Timbisha, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, Native American tribe living in the Death Valley in Inyo County, California. I'm saying it's historical because it's like old tradition, but it, it's still being used. So it's importance. Evening primrose oil reportedly has health benefits. And one of the two evening primrose species in the valley the Eureka Dune species is believed to have stronger healing properties because of its unique growth location. Hmm. The oil from the flower crown on the forehead is said to relieve fatigue and headaches from the valley fever. 
Once a year, different bands of Timbisha natives throughout the valley would trek long hours or days to the Eureka Dunes in the past just to obtain the flower. Now most of the Timbisha bands have moved out of Death Valley, so the practice is rarely followed. However, remaining Timbisha living at Furnace Creek, they occasionally still do make the trek. And here's some trivia. The flower became endangered in 1970 due to off-road vehicles entering the Eureka Dunes, causing a conflict between local Timbisha and the authorities. And efforts to protect the Eureka Dunes helped the flower's population to recover, putting it off the endangered list in 2018. Okay, so it says that it cures headaches. Um, that the oil helps to soothe the headache. It's said to relieve headaches. Okay, so it doesn't actually cure the valley fever, but it just relieves the headache and the fatigue. Yeah, it, it doesn't get rid of the fever. Um, they're not saying that, like, the oil from the flowers magically, like, makes this fungal disease go away. It, it's supposed to help with the symptoms. This is more likely to be a general remedy that works for more than just the valley fever, it feels yeah. like. Yeah. I don't know about the flower crown, because I don't think you can get oil on your head from the flower crown, so I don't really know why. Also, mm. the stuff about, like, the uh, Native Americans fighting over land would make a lot of sense. And the endangered flowers yeah. also make sense. Is this a real remedy that's actually been used by them? That's the question. I don't think so. I would argue that flowers are more celebratory than they are medicinal. Mm. I would say that it's more likely for flowers like that to be used in decoration or in celebration of some kind than for medicine. Okay. So that's my answer. Yeah, okay. So this is fake. We did make this up. However, Kumizol actually is said to have these yeah. benefits the the ritual the whole practice whether it was a real remedy that, that that stuff we did make up yeah yeah i mean flower crowns themselves are a lot more decorative i'm gonna do some special mentions yeah special mentions quick fire round <clears throat> arsenic for fevers and headaches urine brackets with goat milk close brackets for dental whitening centrifuges <laughs> for mental illness Hell yeah. mind control with electric therapy mind control <laughs> This yep. made me think about, you know, when, well, rather than like healing diseases, but like causing diseases, my mom used to say, to avoid me sleeping with my hair wet, she'd say that it would cause cancer. Yes. For me, I was told it would cause headaches. <laughs> we should do a bonus of us just talking about like Chinese customs. <laughs> like eat all the rice. Oh, and uh, no, my mom, my mom said if you're like the number of rice, like the rice grains that you have in the bowl. Yeah, is, the pimples um, on your. The pimples on your spouse's face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's um, so many of these weird ones every time i get a pimple i'm just like man my future spouse not eating their rice <laughs> me too me too <laughs> it's like it's on them yeah i was a bit worried that because like my last episodes have all been biology based and i was worried that oh, i'm doing like a medicinal thing no i loved it it was really good fun um and i was able to use a lot of history like to guess at whether it's real or fake which is really mm. fun I'm so glad that you enjoyed. Unfortunately, I'm I'm not the expert on a lot of history around the world. I feel like the podcast would be biased in like that it gives you a picture of what I do know and rather what I don't. Obviously, demand characteristics. You put me in a quiz about anything related to, I don't know, geography. I'm useless. I don't know shit. I don't know anything. <laughs> me too. Thank you for listening to the Gifted Kid Complex. If you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast and would like to support us, a very simple way to do so is to let people know that we're here. Subscribe or follow so you can come back every week. And please do rate and review us so others can find us too. We have like 
five star reviews straight up on Spotify, but we have like nine. So if we could get that number up, that'd be great. That would be great. Thank you, guys. We'd always appreciate hearing anything you, our listeners, have to say. Um, if you'd like to contact us to make any suggestions or share some interesting stuff with us, you can do so via the form in the link tree in our show notes. We're also now on Patreon. By pledging to the Gifted Kid Complex, you can get rewards such as full length and uncensored video episodes, early access, and before and after commentary from the cast and crew. It's linked in our show notes too, alongside any citations or references to topics we discussed today if you want any further reading. We will, for now, release a few short bonus episodes on our main RSS feed for everyone to listen to as and when, made out of the fascinating tangents that landed on the cutting room floor. If you'd like to see even more bonus content though, another Patreon reward is exclusive bonus content you can't find anywhere else, both in audio and video form. The Gifted Kid Complex is created, directed, and produced by Cher C, me, our co-hosts and primary writer researchers are Taya and myself. Um, our primary editor is Chris K, our secondary editor is me, Cher C, and our audio engineer is Taya C. Our assistant writer researchers and transcribers are Alex E, Delaney L, Isaiah H, Jenny S, and Lucas H. This was actually a first episode that was very heavily worked on by the team, so thank you to Jenny and Isaiah specifically for helping me out with this episode. Thank you so much, guys. We record our episodes on riverside.fm and publish with rss.com, so thank you to them for helping us in making the Gifted Kid Complex exist. And finally, thank you to you, our patrons and listeners, because you are the reason we can and do make the Gifted Kid Complex. We have so much fun with it, and we hope you love it too. Bye! Bye! <laughs>